Welcome back to another episode of Pardeki Piche with your host Ankur Desai and Risa Faruqi. It's the month of May and that means the Cannes Film Festival is kicking off this year for the 75th year. The festival runs May 17th until May 28th and for today's episode we wanted to explore the relationship between Indian cinema at Cannes like when did this relationship start when what are the big winners you know the the films that have been presented there um how deep the history runs with the festival and also look at some of the problems that have arisen and exploring like why those problems exist and still persist to this day um so yeah raisa do you want to start us off and So yeah, um it's really exciting because uh as we know India is celebrating its um 75th year of independence mm-hmm. and um the Cannes Film Festival is celebrating its 75th anniversary yeah. since it began. So it's a interesting um kind of timeline they're both on. Um and additionally, um this year the Cannes Film Festival um in its first ever has chosen an official country um country of honor. um which this year uh lo and behold is india mm-hmm. um so essentially uh, there's a lot of different elements to it but india is essentially a focus um for this year a big theme mm-hmm. um some highlights include that um bollywood actress uh, deepika padukone is on the jury for the main feature film competition um there will be a brand new restoration screening of satyajit ray's um rare movie uh prathav Pratid Vandi, which means the adversary um from 1970 and uh Ara Vidhan's uh, Govin's um the circus tent and this will be screened at the Khan mm-hmm. Classic uh section um there're going to be world premieres of a selection of indian films um and because the Khan Film Festival has a big business marketing component um the India Forum will be the first event to open the market's conference program So, of uh, just a few highlights of what will be happening, but um good uh kind of timing for this episode because yeah, like uh, Ankur said we want to dive into the relationship between um Indian film and the festival. Khan is known as this prestigious um mm-hmm. festival where um the best of the best movies are. And yeah. um India has been there, but also has not been there um over its 75 years. um of the festival so we wanted to look into why that is so maybe let mm. us start at the very beginning yeah so the khan film festival um exists as a is an indirect result of the rise of fascist regimes in europe during the 1930s so at the time the only international festival um was in italy the mostra di venezia um but it was heavily dictated by political bias um there were mm-hmm. films winning awards that wanted more not because they were necessarily good films um as film critics at the time thought but um because of a, a certain political direction of the countries mm-hmm. so in 1938 in France um a group of critics and filmmakers got together to petition the French government to underwrite the cost of running an alternative um international film festival um one where films could compete without political bias or censorship 
Um, so the government was swayed, and they intended to start the this new festival in France in September of 1939. But uh, of course, that's when World War II broke out. So things were put in hiatus, um, and then uh, the festival started, um, actually started in September um, 20th, 1946, mm -hmm. at um, the little little old town of Cannes, um, which was only one year after the war. And this, 1946, was the year that the Cannes Film Festival began. So there were 21 countries um, that year of 1946 that presented films, and India was one of them. They chose uh, Chitin Anand's Nietzsche Nagar. Um, Chitin is uh, actually Dave, Dave Anand's brother, uh, for those who know Dave Anand. Um, so that was the sole competitor from India at the festival, and it was a major hit. It... Um, was one of the 11 winners of the Grand Prix du Festival International du Film, which was the highest award at the time prior to the Palme d'Or, um, which we all know, um, is now the highest uh, award at the festival. Um, so the Palme d'Or replaced the Grand Prix in 1975. But at the time, in uh, 1946, the Grand Prix was the highest, and um, Nietzsche Nagar did win it, mm -hmm. along with those uh, um, other winners. Amongst the other films um, that won, it was uh, Billy Wilder's The Lost Weekend, uh, Rome Open City from Italy, uh, David Lean's uh, Brief Encounters, um, among others. So some really fantastic films. Oh, yeah. And for India to win such an award um, amongst a jury of um, film critics, uh, film the film community across the world, it was pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. um, ironically, when I was looking at this, Nietzsche Nagar actually was never released in India. And <laughs> it is uh, still the only Indian film to ever win a Grand Prix or a, a Palme d'Or, um, one of the highest awards at Cannes. It is still the only Indian film to have done so. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I think. So, Ankur, you looked more and after what happened yeah. from 1946. Uh, just a little comment on that last point you made about Nietzsche Nagar never both never releasing in India and only being the sole Indian winner of the Grand Prix Palme d'Or uh, it's kind of a good foreshadowing of where the episode is going but yeah uh, moving into the like 50s um, the relationship between Indian cinema and Khan was Pretty fruitful. Um, in 1952, Marathi filmmaker Raja Ram Vankudre Shantaram uh, screened Aman Bhupali um, and it competed for the Grand Prix as well. Um, however, the film lost to Orson Welles' Othello and Renato Catalini's Two Cents of Hope. Yet the film also won an award for Best Sound Recording. Um, then in 1955, uh, Raj Kapoor produced Boot Polished, received a special distinction award for Baby Naz's performance. Uh, Baby Naz was one of the child actors in the movie that uh, received an award for her performance. And then in the following year, Satyajit Ray would make a giant splash with his film Patra Panchali. Um, it competed for the Palme d'Or award, however lost. But it did receive an award for the f at Khan. It won the. I think it was the best, best uh, human human yeah. document. I think was what it was called. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Uh, yeah, in terms of like the relationship between Indian cinema and Khan, I think that would be the biggest like 
uh, example most people would know because of the honor that Butter Panchali has in terms of like the sort of canon of uh, world cinema and Indian cinema throughout the world. And then finally in 1957, Gautama the Buddha, which is a documentary by Rajpans Khanna, won the jury prize at that year's festival. Yeah, so there was definitely, it was fruitful in the 50s. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think after following the 50s, it was a bit spotty um yeah appearance at con no for sure so like yeah following the 50s like the 60s and 70s indian films were being shown at con at uh, every year however they weren't competing for awards um films by bimal roy sham benegal uh satyajit ray ritvik katak mirnal sen they were all being screened however they weren't not just winning, but even like being nominated for these awards. They're being screened out of competition, um, which is an honor in itself, of course. Uh, it doesn't mean like the films are bad or like they weren't selected. They just weren't getting that sort of high honor that the other films had received. Moving into the 80s, the sort of prestige of awards and uh, honors started coming back to Indian films. Um, in 1982, Myrnal Sen was chosen as one of the uh, jury members for that year's festival, and he won the Special Jury Prize Award the following year, 1983, for his film Courage. Um, and then a few years later, in 1988, Mira Nair with her film Salam Bombay would make headlines winning the Camera Dior and the Audience Prize Award. Um, the 80s and 90s um, both were a good decade for Indian regional cinema as well to flourish at Khan. Um, in 1989, the Malayalam film Piravi received a special mention in the Camera Dior category. And then in 1991, Manipuri filmmaker Ariban Sham Sharma presented his film Ishanu, while Oriya film Indradhanura Chai competed for the Grand Prix, while Marana Shimshanam won the Camera D Award in 1999. So the 80s and 90s, yeah, definitely were, um, I think, when Indian regional cinema came on the scene at Cannes. Yeah, for sure. I think there was like, this was like when. Hindi cinema wasn't dominating the festivals or even the Bengali films, which, you know, uh, someone like Satyajit Ray was, of course, hugely, huge participant in. Um, You're seeing filmmakers, you know, from Manipur, uh, Odisha, Kerala being represented. And they were being uh, awarded or like they were at least running for films like Camera Dior, which is like a smaller award at the film festival. But still like a huge honor to get um in terms of like where in terms of like the festival and uh the purpose of the festival of promoting films so following the 90s um again we kind of see the same story kind of play out that there are a lot of films being presented and a lot of films being screened but they're almost exclusively out of competition 
um, films like Devdas, Uran, Ugly, they're all playing throughout the 2000s and 2010s, but again, not being selected as one of the highest, being nominated for the highest prizes or any of the awards, um, but they're still getting like that publicity of being at con and the sort of prestige that comes with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in his essay, um, India's 25-year absence from Khan's official selection mm-hmm. and the Eurocentrism of film culture, uh, Soam Gadre, um, who's a film critic, notes that for a nation with more than, you know, 100 years of film history and a global audience in the billions, mm-hmm. India has been um, pretty absent from the single most prestigious and prominent film festival in the world mm-hmm. from Khan. Um, it's been spotty. Yeah, for and, sure. And, you know, like, what what are the factors for that? And Gajari notes that um, we have to look at the various strings and players required to getting a movie into in competition at Cannes. Um, films are accepted or rejected based on biases, but those films must also be supported from conception to completion mm-hmm. in their home country. When it comes to, like, the Indian... A strand of like what a film promotion and film creation. Um, Som Gadre, of course, points out like these works usually don't get that support that's needed from the home countries to flourish at the festival. And that criticism, you know, it was voiced by uh, Indian film producer Sheetal Talwar in 2012 in a article with hungama.com um he described indian cinema at khan as deplorable and a joke and again this his his words were like in response to like the lack of indian films playing in competition and a lack of worthy support by indian agencies like nftc and the main focus of uh sheetal talwar's criticism was that they have this huge party that they throw at Khan, but and he was saying that the party doesn't really help and here's a quote i didn't see a single gora face i only saw the same tired faces from mumbai that i see every year the nfdc funds the india party i believe they spend one crore rupees on the party alone. What has the party achieved in terms of getting us global recognition? How can we claim to crack Khan when we can't even get any international filmmaker or actor to attend our party out there? Let's not waste money on all expenses paid holidays for Bollywood at Khan. Let NFDC use the money spent at Khan on funding four to five young and bright filmmakers every year. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this is like a very powerful quote, and this is coming from a Indian film producer, so who's been attending Khan for however many years, and he's saying mm-hmm. like, here's the problem that's coming from our side of the story. Yeah, um, no, I I think that's something we hear a lot, um, and mm-hmm. we've talked about it here and there in different episodes. That, yeah. Um, back in the day, there was a, a, a much stronger foundational support for cinema. For mm-hmm. homegrown cinema in India, yeah. um, there was the creation of the National Film Development Corporation during the seventies, which right. um, helped move the parallel cinema movement along. Um, so filmmakers like 
Sethi Ray and Mirnal Sen um, were able to develop their work, um, yeah. which we've discussed in past episodes. Um, there was the development of the National Film Archive of India, which allowed mm-hmm. for the preservation of um, invaluable pieces of India's film history. Um, but that that has not been sustained, and mm-hmm. there has not been huge support for emerging filmmakers. Um, kind of what um, uh, Talker, uh, sorry, not Talker, Talvar oh. says at the end there that you know you should fund four to five young and bright filmmakers. Yeah. Um, because these filmmakers, they they don't have much support, so therefore film festivals like Khan end up becoming a necessity. Yeah. Um, because they don't fall into the mainstream, like Bollywood, because that's where funding and release is guaranteed. But if you're mm-hmm. a little different, if you're a little parallel, um, you need to go somewhere else. And if you don't have support in your own country, um, these film festivals are a way to gain that platform. Yeah. Right. No, yeah, yeah. Um, so there's some systemic problems within kind of the ecosystem of like Indian cinema within India. So Gadri pointed out this, like, you know, at that year, like the films that were being presented and even Talwar said this too in 2012, like the films that were being presented, they weren't really running for any awards. And like, that's the big problem. Um there's no support in terms of getting these movies out to major distributors in the international film market, uh, getting the films screened all over the world. And like you mentioned, you know, that's where these films can flourish and these films can find an audience. And if that doesn't happen through the support of like NFDC or like the Indian government, these films kind of just die off then because they don't you know they might get some theaters screenings in like mumbai or delhi or like the major cities but then they die off and they don't even have like an international like relevancy um so yeah it's it's a big point that's made by gadre on the other hand you know gadre isn't like saying it's like a one-way street it's a two-way street and another problem that he points out to at the nature of the film festival it's very eurocentric and that's also a big hindrance for indian films and filmmakers and the big reason is indian films and indian filmmakers have their own conventions they have their own styles they have their own use of film grammar and it doesn't really align very well with um, the sort of nature of Khan. So those films also, when they do get presented, they kind of have to fit into a certain mold. No, yeah, like this idea that, you know, when you think of Khan, it's this like the place where, you know, prestigious movies are made. Mm -hmm. This is the highest award yeah. to be known as a critically acclaimed film. And it's um, been stated a lot, not just, you know, from India, but different places that it's a, a culture that really relies on this Eurocentric view of like mm-hmm. what cinema is, what cultural discourse is, that criticism. Um, and, Historically, um, Western critics have been slow and reluctant to accept cinema that mm-hmm. um, does not fit into that formalist um, tradition of 
European or American film movements. And um, Godre, he talks about Satyajit Ray, which I thought yeah. was interesting. Um, and not to say such a thing, Chief Ray doesn't make great or made great movies. Mm-hmm. He of course, did. But the, from Godre's point of view, the reason he was so highly um, easily accepted mm-hmm. into Khan and that sort of view is because he was heavily influenced um, by neorealism. Like a lot yeah. of his cinematic language is derived from Italian neorealism from yeah. his work as an assistant um, to John Renoir. Um, and that's the reason why in Godre's words, is um, Ray was so favorable to Euro sensibilities yeah. and caught on rather quickly with Western film taste because his uh, language wasn't so different compared to his peers at the time, like um, Rithrik uh, Gautuk, um, Bimal Roy, Imir um, Nelson even. Um, their films were much more rooted in a classical Indian way of storytelling mm-hmm. Um you know, rich with that melodrama, um, the mythological subtext, which we've talked about. Um, it's a very different language and a different culture um, that it derives from. And um, it's not the same language. So to try and view it from like a Eurocentric um, viewpoint is, um, well, you're not going to like it because it's very different. That's such a true point. Like even as you pointed out, when you discuss like, films that are from Khan or like they were being presented at Khan, like the way you talk about those films is so like heavily dictated by a sort of Eurocentric nature of like what or even like a Western standard of like what film should be. Um, you know, like even someone like Anupama Chopra, who's like someone I love and like I love to read her work she had a quote from um, 2013 or 2012, and she said that um, maybe one day Indian filmmakers will break free of the shackles of Bollywood and make completely global films in terms of aesthetics. Uh, she told this to writers. Um, so, but that kind of gets to this point of like what people view like a film festival film to be and it's so like i think so sort of jaded and sort of like limiting of like imagination of like what a film at con can be um Mm -hmm. i feel like yeah like i really like i would disagree with um yeah um, exactly um, yeah like i for sure yeah it's just like why why do you need to Mm -hmm. be like you know, like all the the film festival family. Like yeah, why, exactly. Yeah, like just you have a different way of like cinematic language, and it is very Eurocentric, right? It's mm-hmm. like those films are better. Yeah. Um And I, I really I want to bring this quote up because we're just talking about it. But um, I read this quote by a former director of the London Film Festival, mm-hmm. um, and he's a previous mentor at the NFDC Film Bazaar in Goa. Yeah, uh, Derek Malcolm, and he said that. Indian films are seen as uh, too long and too diffuse. Yeah. Um, principally, they're not uh, good enough films, and the good ones often don't have professional backing from sales agents um, because they're you know what what is good, you know, what yeah. is a bad film, and really, like I I would argue, like a good film in this kind of context is one that fits that eurocentric cinematic language yeah exactly um which is not indian film as we've talked about like it it derives 
so much from um you know mythology from um theater from mm-hmm. kind of like the culture in india yeah, which exactly. is so different um so like wh- why do you need to try and be like you know like italian realism you're not um and that's okay i would argue it's no. okay that you're not exactly i think again it's like you're limiting the imagination of what film can be and that just doesn't help anyone because you know yeah we focus on this podcast about indian film however like why should a film from china and a film from senegal and a film from brazil be the exact same like there <laughs> those countries have such different histories such different cultures such different uh, voices like it doesn't make sense for them to kind of fit into the mold of like a eurocentric western standard of film and mm-hmm. when you kind of have a very narrow view of film and film grammar and film language you're just limiting again the imagination of like filmmakers audiences uh critics academics journalists whatever like you're just saying like well if you fit into this we'll maybe honor you with an award but if you don't eh, too too bad like (laughs) you know just go somewhere else and i think the problem also goes to like what it means to play at a big film festival icon or like venice it plays a huge part in like the marketing of a film or like a distribution of a film so to fit into that mold seems like a very seems like a very like disingenuous thing and like again limiting sort of scope of film and like the capabilities of film and that's the really sad thing like it's really that um connection between art and business Mm -hmm. because yeah like we talked about like a lot of these issues are because um those voices outside of the mainstream in india um they don't have financial backing to get their movie seen so they take it to the film festivals but then the film festivals have this like narrow view of what is a good film so they don't screen those films so it's it's just like i don't know like for me like i think film is such a especially like watching film from different places it it's like art right like it is Mm -hmm. art it's a different way to view the world yeah um and view human experiences Mm -hmm. and i think it's so sad if we try and um you know if we put a term like it's good on something because Mm -hmm. you know the norm is to view things in this eurocentric way but that's not true like people view things in different ways and um being able to see um you know for instance we've talked about like love and how melodrama is able to express love um and be mm-hmm. able to see that like how why is that worse than you know love portrayed in like a eurocentric way um it, i don't know it's something i've always kind of grappled with like yeah these like award shows like why how do you really decide like what's good what's bad yeah, exactly like, there's yeah. just different ways to like view things um so yeah it's like a very tricky spot when mm-hmm. especially when you make art mix art and business together because um a lot of these like how awards are given how things are chosen is a 
usually like business decisions versus like actual, um, you know, artistic decisions. You know, I want to use an example of like Dave does. It, it was selected to, I think, premiere at the 2002 Cannes Film Festival. And again, just was never nominated for an award. It was at the time one of the biggest movies ever made. It starred the three biggest Indian stars at the time um, in the main roles. It's considered one of the best movies from India. And again, just it's like it, it feels rather disingenuous and felt a little shocking to know that it didn't wasn't nominated for something. It wasn't nominated for Palm Door, for Camera Dior, or whatever. Like it just played out of competition. Mm-hmm. Um so and again and you know, Dev Das two thousand two, it's like Sanjay Lila Pansali, who's a very Indian filmmaker. Like his influences are mostly Indian filmmakers. Um he comes from India, of course, and he also talks a lot about like Indian film history and there's references to Indian film history in his films. And I wouldn't say like Dave Das or any of his films really fit into like, again, a Western standard of film or like melodrama, even like he's doing it on his own terms and he's doing blockbuster films on his own terms yet He's not getting that sort of respect as someone like Satyajit Ray does. Now, I'm not saying Satyajit Ray and Sanjay Lila Bansai mm-hmm. are the same type of filmmaker, but like what what I think Satyajit Ray does for like neorealism in Indian cinema is equivalent to like what Sanjay Lila Bansai is doing for like sort of epic blockbuster type films. So, and the fact is like. A festival of con film, a festival of like Khan's scope and like prestige, doesn't honor that them the same way. It feels a little like again like they want you to make a film in a certain style, which feels you know again like problematic and again disingenuous. I agree, and it's. It's just, I don't know. It's just this idea of festivals. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is a bit much broader than this actual episode is trying to encompass. But yeah, like this idea that like festivals are the decider of like what is good art, what is bad art. Yeah. And I think like it's so narrow. And I, it makes me think of this uh, like Ethan Hawke clip that has gone viral about um, he's talking about superhero movies. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard heard this uh, clip recently. Encore on I, oh, I saw sure. it on Twitter. Yeah. Um but he like he essentially like um it, it seems a little like um off base, but I yeah. Uh it is it's kind of relevant. Like he talks about um superhero movies, like, you know, people criticize them a lot. Um, but you know, like they they're people they're movies that people put their heart into. They're just like different ways to kind of view um things. Like mm-hmm. it Again, he, like, talks about how it's kind of related to business. Like, it dilutes the film market um, Mm -hmm. because there's so much being spent. And, like, young people um, kind of think, like, those are, like, the only 
kind of movies that exist out there. And mm. e- Ethan Hawke kind of talks about like, you know, there's like so many different types of movie and they're like all good. You know, why should one be better or worse than the other? Um, and it kind of makes me think of this, like there's so many different types of film languages. You know, there's yeah. melodrama in Bollywood or India. Um, there's that more neorealism, for instance, right? And um, trying to, the Khan Film Festival trying to be like, this prestigious thing, which is the decider of like, what's a good film or bad film. Um, I don't know. I think it does a lot of harm for oh, film no, as for an sure. art form. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think so too. And yeah, like I, yeah, it's, I, I understand like it is the place you need to go to gain that platform to gain money so that um, your film can see, a, you know, go to a wider audience, but um, it's quite harmful um, because you know, like I, and this is something with Dave Doss, like I, as younger, when I was learning about film and trying to be like, Oh, I'm a film student or, you know, <laughs> yeah. whatever. I was like, Dave Doss, that's a terrible film. Yeah, but actually exactly. now, and as I've grown older, I'm like, you know what? It's fine. It's great. Yeah, it's exactly. just a different way. Um, and you know, using music and that like crazy drama to get across a point. Like it's, um, just as good as, um, you know, a more kind of grittier realism film that tells the same story. It's just a different way to yeah. do it. So, I don't know. It's, it's something I've really grappled with, like, you know, trying to award movies for being one better than the other. And then there's, like, those consequences of um, who, like, how many people can actually view this movie because... Um, it got an award at a film festival and mm-hmm. therefore was able to gain um, backing so that it could screen, you know, further. I think that's a good word. Like it's, it's about the consequences of the film festival. Like this, having a film presented or screened at Khan is one thing. And then being nominated for that award at that festival is another thing. And in terms of like the regular viewer, regular audience member, um, it's may not make a huge difference, but for film producer, oh, sorry, film distributors and like companies that are looking for films to showcase throughout the world, that makes a huge difference. Um, I think we've used the example of Parasite quite a bit, and when that film wins all the hype at that year's Cannes Film Festival, it had a lot of consequences of like where that film can go and where that film can achieve success. Exactly. Yeah. And like, you know, Parasite, because it was able to gain money, was able to, see, mm-hmm. you know, be seen all over. But like, what if it hadn't won awards? Yeah. Right? If exactly. people thought it was a little too off. You know, it's like, it's just wild. Um, and while you were talking, Uncle, I like pulled out the Ethan Hawke quote because I, I really love it. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just going to read it fully. Sure. Um, so he says, I love superhero movies. I love art house movies. I don't think there's a difference between high art and low art. There are movies that people put their heart in, hearts into and there are movies that people try to cash in on. And the ones that I like are the ones that people put their hearts into and you can feel that in a superhero movie or you can feel it in an art house movie. And I think that's really mm-hmm. like key to kind of, at least for me, like my point for this is that, um, yeah, like art house movie, whatever that is, 
um, at Cannes. It can be whatever fits that Eurocentric cinematic language. But that does not mean it is a better film than a melodramatic Indian film that uses song and dance to get a point across. Um, it can be just as good. And just because you put a Palme d'Or Grand Prix on top of it does not, you know, make it one better than the other. Other, It's like um, how people connect with that film or that language or are able to, like, view that human experience through that cinematic language. Um, and so there's, yeah, I think a lot of consequences with trying to judge, um, you know, what what is good, what is bad through um, what a, a film festival and France kind of decides um, yeah. is good. So it's, yeah, it's it's definitely very tricky. And um, I don't know. I like we'll see kind of in the future what happens um, now that they're kind of, you know, like this year putting focus on India. Um, but yeah, it's very tricky, I think, with film festivals and them being like the deciders of what is good, what is bad. Yeah, it's. I think I've said this before so many times, but it's just you're limiting the imagination of what film can be. And that's a disservice to everyone, I think, not just mm -hmm. like audiences, but also filmmakers and aspiring cinephiles throughout the world. Like you're just saying, like, mm, there's this narrow view. And if you fit the mold, you can kind of get into it. But if you don't, you know, take a hike. I'm like, I'm down for film festivals in that I get to be, like watch so many different types of films. But like, and I've never been to Cannes, but I yeah. can just speak to the film festivals I've been to. They have been very um, kind of Euro Eurocentric, Western mm -hmm. film language focused. And I would like, I think to me, a film festival should be a chance to view like very different types of cinematic language yeah and for sure just to view like how people view the world i think exactly. that's so beautiful and it's like i don't know you can mm -hmm. view it in an experimental way or you can view it in a melodramatic way or whatever but it's yeah like i think that's what film festivals should be and i think that's originally what in 1946 was the point because like i we kind of started off with the film festival, the only film festival at the time was the one in Italy. Um, and it was so politically biased. People were, um, you know, like uh, films were winning awards that more for a political reason than because they were you know, good films or because people really connected with them. And the original people who started the Cannes Film Festival did it to um, show films that, you know, from all over the world that without political bias or censorship, but now in 2022, it has become very, you know, focused on um, being a place where you can gain your platform, where you can make money. Um, it's very star-studded. So I think it's really, from its roots, it's really kind of shifted. Um, and I think not just for India, but a lot of kind of cinemas outside of, you know, the Western world. It's... Um, it's been a tough place. Um, so we'll see like kind of what the, the future is now, like with streaming and that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. um, how those different cinemas are able to um, showcase their films. 
Thank you for tuning in. Listen to us monthly on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all other streaming sites. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at PKP Podcast. For episode suggestions or general inquiries, send us an email at pkp.podcast at gmail.com. Thanks again, and we'll catch you next month. Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs> Thank you.